All right, welcome everyone to Preferred Lies, the official podcast of New Hampshire Golf. I'm Dave Long, your host, and I am joined today by Scott Peters, the president and founder of Golf and Ski Warehouse, who is the presenting sponsor of Preferred Lies. So we'll mention before we start, for the best selection, service, and savings, swing by Golf and Ski Warehouse in Hudson, Greenland, and West Lebanon, New Hampshire, and in Scarborough, Maine. Learn more and get directions to those locations at Golf and Ski Warehouse. Scott, how are you? I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. It is a, uh, uh, we're on the heels of the PGA uh, Championship, which um, we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a little bit about the the new rules in golf. Uh, I've given them some thought after we were talking about Uh it uh, last week. That's trouble. And now I've ranked them into categories, which we'll talk about in just a second. (laughs) Uh, Scott being, uh, as I said, the president and founder of Galvinsky Warehouse. Today we're going to talk about uh, for per- people going out to buy clubs and walking in the door in one of the four locations where you see like acres of clubs. How do you start? What do you pick? How do you pick them? And how do you go from there? We're going to do that. We're going to talk about some tidbits in the PGA, uh, the, uh, PGA News in general. Uh, and then we'll uh, talk about the PGA Championship and close with picks since we had our picks last week i should say before we even get started scott picked the uh the guy who led from the first hole although a little shaky in the last six holes uh brooks kepka to uh, win the pga championship yeah that was um uh, obviously i can't sit here and tell you that of course i knew i was right kind of thing but i certainly um did feel like as i said on our last podcast that um, between the way he was playing and the uh, course that he was going to play, uh, and then the way he played at Augusta, it just it just was the stars aligned. It was, um, at least in my opinion, it was a Brooks Kepka perfect scenario of golf course, his playing, um, and his confidence. And uh, while he did sputter a little bit on the last nine, the reality is his exceptional play through the first, what, 63 holes, 64 holes, because he was 13 under par when he birdied the 10th hole in the last nine. Um, Clearly, he was um, the best player, and, and you know, that good play allowed him a little bit of a a cushion when the winds picked up and and the back nine became incredibly difficult. All right, we're going to talk about new rules of golf this year. uh, first today, and I've ranked them into categories. When we were talking about it the other day, uh, just uh, I didn't have, I didn't really, hadn't really thought about these things. So there's categories are good, a good rule change, weird but a good rule change, bad rule change, what's the big deal that people are talking about, and uh, the final category is good and bad rule change. It has some goods and bad. So. Uh, we'll start with uh, we'll start with uh, the good um, fixing the green. Now it's okay to uh, pick up impediments and fix spike marks and things of that nature, indentations by equipment, animal marks, whatever. Uh, and uh, is that a good rule? I always thought it was a little bit too touchy. Yeah, um, that to me was a no-brainer. I used to always think, why does it make? I mean, why is it that somebody can walk in front of you? turn their feet into the ground and make spike marks or make some kind of indentation marks, and you can't fix that. So I, I am um, fully on board with the fixing uh, of any, what do you say, a 
problems with the green. So I'm, I'm fully on board as that being a, a good. Given your categories, I'll call that a good rule change. Okay, now we're to weird but good. Uh, and I think I know what you're going to say about this one. The flag stick. You can leave the flag stick in when you're putting. Well, you know, I, I think we discussed in our last podcast. I, I, I certainly feel strongly about it in, from my perspective. But I've also played with enough other people where I've come to realize it just totally depends on the group you're in. Um, and I, I use my wife's group as an example. She told me that she went out and played with some gals last week. And at no point did the flag stick ever leave the cup. So they putted from everywhere all the time, flag in, and she found like it was easier, um, less, uh, l- fewer issues, and quicker pace of play. So from her perspective, big win. Yeah, the idea is pace of play So sure. for, for this. So you sure. don't have to my put it down, struggle, come back, and pick it up. Right, and my struggle is twofold. Now we're, now we're to the weird part. Right. My struggle is twofold. A, I just don't like the looks of it. Right. I don't like the looks of somebody having a five-footer to win the Masters, leaving the flag in. <laughs> so for me, I struggle with that. Um, and the other issue I struggle with is it's now being used um, in a way that wasn't intended. It's almost like, you know, I hate to digress and talk about the you know, replays now in sports where the unintended consequences of these rule changes and an unintended consequence is that the flag stick is now being used as a competitive advantage as opposed to place, pace of play. And so, and what do you mean by that? That people are literally at five feet using it to bang it off the flag stick rather than as a pace of play issue. That, that Peltz's study, Dave Peltz, the short game guru, did a study. And by the way, there is another study that's come out that it contradicts Peltz's study. But anyway, his study suggests that 99% of the time, Leaving the flag stick is an advantage. That's not how the rule was intended. Well, he's going to have to prove that to me because my sense is that, uh, and I was a beneficiary of this on Saturday. Play, I was playing by myself, but my sense is it's going to hurt more than it helps on because balls, you know, the ones that are too hard, you know, you hit it a little bit too hard. If you hit it directly on, it'll be like a backboard, and it just traps it and sends it down. But for the most part, you don't hit it perfectly, and that means it's gonna it's gonna tick it in a different direction. And I think it's gonna hurt more than it helps. Well, his on study putts would suggest you're incorrect, but there have been other studies that suggest you're exactly correct. So, I think there is a um, a gray area relative to whether it actually helps or not. I'm just saying that. It's being used as a competitive advantage that was not intended when the rule change came about. Well, I'll tell you a further thing. It was kind of funny. I played with some other some buddies in the last week or so, and they have they're fully convinced that it's just easier and more enjoyable. They just leave it in. I sort of have the old school view of things where I cannot if I've got a ten footer, I can't leave it in. I just I've never right. put it that way. So so now what's happening is. In, I'm the guy who's causing pace of play issues. Now I'm a fast player. I've never been cause of pace of play issues. But now when everyone wants it in and I want it out, now I've got to be the guy who goes and gets the flag and takes right. it out for my 10-footer and then put it back in for somebody's 5-footer. See, if I don't take the club out, I mean the, the pin out, i got a 15% chance of losing a club. 
because you know my father the caddy told me you won't lose clubs if the clubs that you bring to the green you put on top of the flag because they got to put it back in the ground and you'll pick them up and you know i it almost makes me i don't want to say gag but when i see guys you know they bring three clubs to the to the green and they'll leave it like in the rough off the green i'm going that's a 50% chance of somebody forgetting Wait, that club. Wait, I always think of it, it's very simple. Put the club in line from the cup to wherever your bag or Well, that's is. another one, yes. That's the simplest way to do it. So whenever I hit a shot, I always make sure I put the club in the line of where my bag and or next tee is and therefore... It also looks weird, putting. I, I agree with you. Just hitting to... Yeah. just it's it's. I've been doing it for a million years and I don't expect myself i mean when i play by myself i rarely take the flag now, out unless i, I want to make like a 10 footer or something because more than that, more than likely it's not going to go too hard sure i'm going to miss the hole but so i will say if i've got a 40 footer um you know what and nobody's around just leave it in i'll go um right so so i can't sit here and tell you i never um leave it i'll never take it out but for the most part it's not something i've embraced um, but others have. I did it on Saturday, and it, I hit it. I hit it a little bit too. Low. No, I mean, of course. Well, I know, but what I'm saying is, I hit like a 35 footer, and it hit right on the, and the flag was in it. Hit right dead center, yeah. and it was going to go too long, and it dropped in. There you go. So um, that's a competitive advantage. Yes. So, uh, and I'm I'm all for that. By the way, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm looking for. I'm, I'd be okay if baseball brought back uh, steroids because I like home runs. So, although this year there's so many home runs, so okay. Second is uh, in the the good but weird swinging in the hazard, grounding your clubs in the hazard. Yeah, that one I'm struggling with. Um, you know, I no penalty if you move an you impediment, can ground it. Yes, you can move stuff. You can right. take practice swings. Yep. I would tell you when I was um, in Florida this winter, and I happened to be in a hazard occasionally. Yep. Can you believe it? But yes, I hard I to believe for me. <laughs> But I felt like I was cheating. I absolutely yeah, well, yes, felt yes. like I was cheating. And so it was strange. It was just, it right. just strange. And I'm not sure um, what the intended reasoning for that one is. I, if we get Matt on at a later date, I can ask him, what was the intention of that rule? I suppose it's pay supply, but I'm not so sure. I, I, I so think you can't ground it in a bunker, but you can in a hazard. I, I'd be... I'd be curious to see if it improves play of the average everyday guy who walks on guy or woman who walks on a course who is intimidated by traps. Right. Somehow being able to swing in there and no, doing something maybe that what's that? You cannot in a bunker. I saw somebody at the PGA doing it. No, you didn't. It might have been a waste area, but it's not a bunker. Oh. A bunker you cannot. Oh. In a hazard you can't. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well I take that back. All right, then it's 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 uh, all right. Still bad and weird. Uh, this is bad, I think. I'm curious of your thoughts. Uh, double hits and deflections. You hit it, and your club follows through, hits it again. If you accidentally hit his ball, if your ball twice with one swing, no longer a penalty. Good rule, bad rule. I got it in bad category. Yeah. Um, why do you think it's bad? Because you're because you hit it twice. Well, you only hit it once, and it hit the club a second time, meaning your intention was it's one stroke that you happen to hit it twice. I think As someone who's got experience was, with this. <laughs> I have double-chipped before. <laughs> um, you know, I think I struggle with it. I, I, don't, I get why you would think it should be twice because you actually hit it twice, 
But I think the conclusion was it was very confusing to the average golfer, and and there was no benefit to hitting it twice at 99.9 times when you hit it twice. It ends up in a worse place. That's true. And so, therefore, I think the rationale was it was a confusing rule, and you end up in a bad spot anyway, so no arm, no foul. Okay. Uh, Under the category of what's the big deal, uh, when you're dropping a ball, you have to do it from your knee now. You can't do it from shoulder level. So it's funny. I, uh, I had a, dear, a good friend of mine who play a lot uh, with who plays on the Champions Tour, and I said to him, this is silly. Why not just make it from the knee to the shoulder? Who cares? It doesn't matter. Why create this? And he looked at me and said, what's the big deal? You drop it at the knee. That's the rule. Drop it at the knee. I think Why it's easier, it? isn't it? Well, that's well, that it, was that's... his point. I mean, just as originally, and I'm old school in this too, you used uh, to over your drop back. it over your shoulder. Then you went to your shoulder. Nobody seemed to have a problem with the shoulder. Now it's a knee. What's the big deal? Shut up and drop it at the knee. And I'm like, huh. Well, it does more than likely if you're dropping it from you're on it your knee and you're dropping feels it from your knee. Strange, right? And right. So my view was, but it's not going to roll as far. Probably. I think that's true. That's probably the idea. My view, kind of though, was knee to the shoulder. Who cares? Therefore, there's no gray area. There's no. I mean, there is gray, but there's no rules infraction. If you end up dropping it closer to the waist than you do your knee, as we saw, Ricky Fowler get penalized earlier this year because he dropped it between the shoulder and knee, but it wasn't at the knee, so he got a penalty. That seems silly when you're trying to simplify the rules. Can you anyway. put backspin on the ball? You're not allowed to. All right. I mean, that is. See, I'm for that. If they yeah. want to do that, yes. <laughs> I thought you were more of a knuckleball guy myself. But anyway. no, I like backspin because it can. Yeah. It'll because keep. You can't it'll, do it with a wedge. Well, it'll kick. No, it'll kick it away. <laughs> well, that too, but it'll kick it away from uh, yep. from more trouble. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. A good and bad. Uh, the search for lost balls. And it says, in an effort to speed up pace of play, if a bla- player's ball is lost in high grass or lost anywhere outside of a penalty area, you no longer have five minutes if the search time is down to three minutes. Uh, if, the ser- if during the search the ball is accidentally moved by anyone, there's no penalty. The ball is simply returned to its approximate position. I think both those are good. I think that for the most part, if you haven't found it in three, rarely you're going to find it in five. And I also think if you're looking for a ball in high grass, and it's happened to be in a tournament where you happen to actually step on it because you didn't see it, it seems to me that shouldn't be a penalty, and I think that's a good thing. Interestingly enough, if you watch the PGA show, a PGA tournament, um, Harold Varner on, I believe, the fourth hole was in high grass, went to chip out, ends up grabbing the club, grabbed his hosel, ball went way left. He didn't know where it went, so they literally start looking for it. They can't find it. It was the first time I'd seen on TV the three-minute versus five-minute rule, and it was a big difference because, you know, normally he'd have two more minutes to look for it. Right. Um, and you got all those people helping you look those, for it. Well, ironically, it was, he hit it in a place that there was nobody, so <laughs> it just worked out. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody lose a ball he, during a tournament. He lost a ball that went 25 yards. Think about that. I've done that. Well, I know, but okay. <laughs> I, I think there are but, lots of things that you've done with Nadia. But, um, That's why it's a good and a bad rule, because I'm losing two minutes. Three minutes, like I said, if you, if you haven't found it in three, rarely does that extra two minutes make a big difference. Okay, big picture, all those rolling to get all together. Good, bad, I think what's the big deal? The ultimate, ultimately, that it is a good thing. I think through any change, there's a transitional period that is awkward. Uh, we, none of us like right. change, right? right. Who yep. really likes change? We get used to it, you know, whatever it is. 
um, we struggle with tra- change. And so I think what we're going through is that transitional period. And I think ultimately, in the long run, it'll be viewed as a positive. I think uh, I'm for anything that speeds up play, I guess, yeah. on, uh, on courses. But, you know, the one that I never got, and this is not involved in this, they don't do it anymore. Very rarely does anybody do it anymore. Uh, you know when you, uh, on par threes, you let the other group hit up while you were on, on the green, ready to go? I mean, this is a long time ago. Yes. People used to do it. And it was supposed to speed up play. I always thought it slowed play down. I never got it. Yeah, I think the only time I'd, I'd actually don't think that speeds up play. I think letting people through in a par three yeah. makes sense. Yeah. But to let them hit up, the only time it might make sense is if it's an, uh, like a really long par three where, generally speaking, it's almost like a par three and a half, par four. And so, therefore, that might make sense because inevitably they're not on the green and so they get one of their shots out of the way while you can putt out. Or maybe if it's one that's got like a, it's like a severely elevated tee, and it's a a, a different, it's not a straight right. walk down there, so and it takes you're longer. Etiquette versus rule here. Yeah, and the whole etiquette okay. thing's a whole other dynamic. Well, I was, but that I always thought that that was the case was made to me that that was about trying to uh, speed up play, and I never thought it sped, so, sped up. Play. Interestingly, I'd be curious with all those rules if pace and play has been sped up at all on the PGA Tour. My guess is the answer is no. Didn't seem it the other day. Uh, especially I that US, I don't think a PGA or US Open or majors necessarily the tournament to to test it on, right? Um, because inevitably those are the hardest and the most difficult right. courses, and usually takes the longest and means the most and all that stuff. How about the the? Uh, I mean, I, I, the when uh, I think it was in the twelfth hole when Kepka hit that ball way left. And they were trying to clear out the distant, the the, uh, and and people wouldn't move. Right, it was incredible. I'm going. That is definitely in New York because it was all New York. I could just think everybody I've known since I moved up here is saying that same thing, right? Right. Because they were. I'm. I'm, I was even yelling at the television, going, "What are you doing?" Right. And then I was kind of hoping he'd hit somebody, but it would have cost him another stroke, teach him a lesson, (laughs) but uh, didn't happen. All right, let's switch gears. <laughs> let's switch gears, and uh, we're going to go to uh, clubs. Talk about clubs in a second, or how to start your search for clubs. But uh, let me just read this first. Uh, at Golf and Ski Warehouse this summer, this spring, I should say, you can win a twenty-five hundred dollar golf shopping spree at Golf and Ski Warehouse. Register, register to win at. Any location in Hudson, Greenland, West Lebanon, and New Hampshire, and Scarborough, Maine. And you can get all the details at GolfAndSkiWarehouse.com, or GolfSkiWarehouse.com, I should say. This ends at the end of the month, so you've got to hurry to do that if you want to do that. Yeah, but so what does that cover, May. by the way? It'll be, this will be out in, uh, let's see, today's the 21st. It'll be out in the 23rd. So, so you've got, uh, you got, you got another week. Right up to the thirty-first, and what is that? What is that? That cover anything that you like? If you want twenty-five thousand dollars worth of, okay. I mean twenty-five hundred dollars worth of push, sorry, push carts or golf balls, you can if get you want whatever you want. Twenty-five hundred bucks worth of push carts, have at it. Okay, so it's it's yours to to spend as you see fit. Okay, just so we got that straight. All right. I'm someone who's going to buy. I'm I'm not as I mentioned earlier. I'm not the most adventurous guy in the world uh, in terms of change. So it's like, okay, I've had this driver. I like it. I want to go to the next version of. Uh, I have a Titleist driver. I'm going to go there. But for someone who is more adventurous, likes to try different things, collects clubs, whatever it is, uh, and they walk in the door, they're going to buy a new set. They have no idea what to buy and how to start. What do you tell them? 
Well, it's a process, right? And so inevitably, I think we could go a bunch of different directions on this, but but some people have preconceived notions on what they want. Some don't. Um, I think for the most part, um, trying to figure out your handicap, your ball flights, um, how much you play, um, how far, how high you hit it, all those things play a factor. But ultimately coming in here and starting to hit a few balls with, and trying a few different clubs and working your way through the process with one of our um, sales folks who are very good at this, who do this all day, every day, and they can give you some guidance and advice as you sort of break it down. So I would start macro and work your way to micro, if that makes sense, in the sense of I don't think, unless you come in and you want to be a Callaway guy or you want to be a TaylorMade guy or you want a ping guy um, or whatever the case may be, you come in with no preconceived notions, go to the net, go outside, whatever you like, try three, four, five different clubs, narrow the process, let the computer analysis tell you some things. For example, if we're talking about a driver, the goal in a driver is to get the proper and ideal optimum launch angle and spin rate. Now we're getting a little technical. I understand that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, but that's the goal. And so, you know, I think I may have said this in, in previous years. The reality is that um, my brother and I hit the ball the same distance. But he uses a 12-degree loft, and I use an 8.5-degree loft. There's no right. There's no wrong. It's what is best for my swing. And that we all swing how we swing. We all have our golf swing DNA, and you need to go through the process Go through the analysis, allow the computer analysis to tell you, allow some of our expert fitters to tell you, and narrow the process down. There's certainly a look, a feel um, that you might like as a golfer that others may or may not like, but let's go through the process, allow the look and feel that you like, allow the computer analysis to sort of direct you, and ultimately it narrows down the field and gives you some options. And how much is uh, for, for comparatively priced clubs, you know, they're in the same kind of category from one manufacturer to the next. How much difference is there in those particular clubs or in each one of those sets? Or is it really at that point come down to what feels good and how you hit it? Yeah, I mean, again, I think if you're talking about top of the line or middle of the line or whatever, if you're looking at apples to apples within that price point and price range um, and five different manufacturers, um, you know, there's almost no difference in that sense. Meaning, you're all, if you're talking about Callaway's best, Taylor's best, Ping's best, Tylus best, those are exceptional products. Um, now, you might hit one better than the other, so therefore one is better for you than the other. Um, but when you're talking about the top end driver or a middle price driver, they're really very, very similar um, as far as what they offer, what they can do. But they may be different on what it does with your golf swing. So I don't know if that okay. makes sense. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, that's all I'm saying is, you know, I, I can remember, I liken this to back in the day, you'd go in uh, when you're in college or just after college and you want to get a really cool stereo. And you go into the stereo store and you've got the guy telling you, well, harmonic distortion is less on this one and it's more on that one. And I'm going, this is, I don't know what any of this stuff, I just want something when people, that it might sound good, but they're all going to sound good. Uh, I want it to look cool in the house, you know, right. and, uh, right. you know, it's, the same it, it, it's similar. I, that's the what same I mean. Thing. That's why it can't, I would think it can be confusing, but, but that's, but, but, uh, well, but now this part, makes sense. For the most part, drivers are similar in size. Um, they are, shafts are, you know, 
again similar. Um, your club head speeds are going to be similar. Ball speeds. So right. there's a there's a process to narrow it down, and there certainly are subtle differences between the two, and there certainly are um, brand bias that some may have. You know whether it was that Sony or whatever. I don't know my my. Right, my my Harman Kardon was the big one. They almost had me. They almost had me buying that one. (laughs) So, um, but but there's no question that there is an education and an information process that is enjoyable to go through. That you may not change what you had, what you thought when you came in, but you will definitely enjoy the process and you'll learn a few things. And more often than not, you're going to come out with a product that's superior to what you're using. See, I've always thought that it was. And uh, I'm, I'm prepared. In fact, I've, I've told you this, and you told me I'm wrong, and I think I'm willing to agree with it now. But uh, that I've always be, thought it was. That must be difficult. I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, after I picked Tony Finau, and he was out of it in the first hole of the PGA. That's not true. <laughs> no, he came back. Yeah, he, uh, he just he had, had a bad, bad last day. Right, but he, he was in the hunt, not in the hunt. But I've always thought it was. It's a matter of the swing. You give me the club, I can hit it. If I got the swing, if I can play. Well, that's true, and yet at the same time. Um, again, I use my brother as a good example. <laughs> Using a 12-degree or an 8.5-degree driver are very, very different. Right. If I used the 12-degree and he used the 8.5, we'd switch it around. Our results would be vastly different, and none of and none of them really very good. And so, why, why, why would you say that? Because my swing produces a higher shot. Oh, I see. Okay. And spin rates, so it would produce a less optimal launch angle and spin rate. Same with him. He wouldn't be able to hit it as far because he needs a more loft because he hits it low. And so therefore, yeah, he's an exceptionally talented golfer, but at the same time he's using a product that isn't right for him, so therefore he is minimizing his optimum. That he would hit a eight and a half degree okay. driver so low. So every driver, for example, needs he has an optimum carry and an optimum roll. Too much loft gives you too much carry, no roll. Not enough loft gives you not enough carry and too much roll. The right loft gives you optimum carry and roll. So analyzing your swing is is well, a big... and the results of the swing. Right. We're not we're not in there to analyze anybody's swing. We're in there to analyze the results of each shot. Right. Okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think it in in for example, you know, you probably still like a three iron. I don't know that. I do. Yeah, um, I still. Right. Yep. But my guess is. If you went through the process, you barely even sell them a now, right? Three hybrid, you would have better results with. Right. Yeah. No, I I have no doubt about that. Right. And yet, because you like it or don't like it, I'm not saying you specifically. That's a general plural. You, if you like a three iron and don't like a three hybrid, your results may be better the three iron. And yet, um, all things being equal, the three hybrids easier to hit. I started playing. They had two irons, and actually. I didn't. I never had a one iron. I'm sitting but, in my office right now, I see a two iron right over there, and <laughs> it would scare you to death to hold on to that. Thing. Right, yeah. and then the one iron, which was what was the old golf joke? Even God, even God can't have one. Yeah, what, well, Lee Trevino came up with it because he actually literally got hit by lightning, <laughs> oh, yeah. and he said, "You know what? I should have been holding the lightning, uh, the one iron in my hand, because <laughs> even God wouldn't." Oh, all right. Well, that was in. Why do people get hit by lightning in Illinois? Didn't he get? It was in Illinois, right? <laughs> the Western Open, I think, where he got it. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's move on, change topics, and let's move to uh, some. Let's we have Tiger here to talk about. Uh, I know you love it. Uh, well, you know there were. Um, so, what do you think? He missed the cut at the PGA. So, talk of him winning eight to catching Jack 
Well, the first column, right after it happened, George Willis in the New York Post writes, well, I guess you can put that on the back burner, talking about Tiger making 18. We, we overreact when he wins and we overreact when right. he loses. The bottom line is, if you were honest and really did, did the full analysis, he had very little chance of succeeding in the, um, in the PGA. The only reason I thought he might finish in the top 25 was because he's still supremely talented. But the reality was he hadn't played one competitive well, round of golf. That's really why I brought this up. Right? Was that not a smart strategy? I mean, well, it, it looks fairness, like it wasn't. The other thing I was going to say, hadn't, won one, hadn't played one competitive round of golf. And in fairness, i got to believe there's an emotional letdown, that he, he achieved something he thought he never would do that, again. Right. So between those two things, you could argue why would he have had a chance to win? That he had emotional letdown that was going to be hard to get the engine revved up again. And he wasn't sharp, and he wasn't crisp because he hadn't played. Yeah. And I don't care how many balls you get on a range and how many practice rounds you play, it's not the same. You think it's going to take people time now at the PGA in between the Masters and the U.S. Open uh, to maybe alter their strategy and how they get ready for the for this tournament? I think there's no doubt that the uh, landscape has changed and that right. therefore you need to adapt a new schedule. And I think that, as we discussed previously, I think inevitably – some tournaments are going to suffer because of it. Right. Well, like, the one for example, before. Right now, we've got the U.S. Open, what, three weeks? So we have yes. Colonial, the Memorial, and another event. Well, you know what? It's going to be hard pressed to get people to participate in all those tournaments. I think there were only two people in the top 30 that played in the event. What was the event before, um, before the PGA? I mean, right. they had nobody there. Right. So, I, I, you know, as much as this may add, it maybe it might take something away, at least from some of the tournaments on the well, tour. I think, I think that's going to happen. And I also think the players have got to figure it out. You know, some players love to play the week before, some don't. So there's different ways of going about it, but there's no question that they have to take a look at their schedules and try and figure out what makes sense. The other thing for Tiger was uh, he had one month uh uh, a renaissance of winning the Masters, feeling good about it, coming here and misses the cut. And there's also a biography that came out like three days before about him, unauthorized biography. And, and, the, and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I mean, there's that was a big month. But the book was not uh, complimentary in any way. It was written by Armin Katayan, who's a... But we know, knew that was coming for months. Yeah. I would have argued that the, the fact that there was a lawsuit against him and his restaurant... Well, that too. ...the week... Of the PGA probably wasn't a big help either. Right. So I think he had other no things. Chance. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. But that being said, and we don't need to talk about the U.S. Open right now, but as much as Beth Page wasn't good for him, um, Pebble Beach is. So I would expect him to. Certainly. Well, he's to had be, success at both, but be, you're right. To be, yeah, but yes, he had success. But he's at played both. more at Pebble Beach. Right. And his success at Beth Page was when. How about, uh, years ago? I meant to ask you this week, uh, this last week, and we didn't do it. Uh, John Daly and the cart being given the waiver. Good thing? Bad thing? I, You know, it's funny. I didn't like it. Um, and maybe it's unfair, but I thought Casey Martin, Martin, when he got the only other person to ever have a cart, his was a legitimate, um, you know, um, at birth right. handicap. John Daly's is because he drank and smoked too much, and he's bad shape, and now he's bad knees. Now that's my version. That maybe <laughs> right. a little bit, right. but the reality is, um, I'm, uh, one is more self-inflicted than the other, and I just think it's a bad precedent. Just because you have a bad knee, because you're overweight, right? 
I mean, I don't know. Is that that maybe crude and a little harsh? No, I'm but, not, I have no problem with that, and I, and I also is, have no problem with the fact you did it to yourself, or you certainly contributed to it. Right. You know, that's your job. If your job is to be a professional golfer or athlete or whatever, dancer, ballet, you got to be in shape. Right. And if you uh, say I don't have to, you take the consequences of it. I think so. so. Uh, although Tiger, Tiger <laughs> was even more curt than you and I are when he said uh, he said he wasn't. If they asked him, he said I wasn't a fan. Well, he's much I more mean, politi- I, politically correct than you and I just were. I mean, he just said, "Hey, I played in a broken leg with a broken leg right. in two thousand nine," and he's right. So, anyway, all right. Um, another book out that I have haven't read the whole thing, but Rick Riley, the sports inf- the sports former Sports Illustrated uh, Can columnist, do this without being political. Uh, yeah, the the name of the book it's about, and, and I'll say this about it's Commander in Cheat. It's about the president and golfing, and he says this book explains him in the Oval Office or his attitudes and things. I'll just say one thing: Riley wrote a book several years ago that I did read, and he played eighteen holes with a number of different people: Jack Nicklaus, uh, you know, uh, professional golfers, baseball players, executives. Trump was one of them, and he was totally complimentary uh, in, in that one. He said he was a good guy. I had to meet him at Trump Tower, and then he played someplace maybe at Mamaroneck. I don't know. But Yeah, I guess I would. Uh, my response to that is, what are you going to say? I mean, I don't think it, it served him any purpose to say anything besides right. positive things. Right. And I also think there's a business interest that they share. So I'm not sure that was totally objective. Or mentioned. Or mentioned. <laughs> I also think that... Um, you know, we've always, as golfers, and, and and I think it's been said often over the years, that if you really want to find out about somebody, play golf with them, um, that it's very revealing to their personality, that you become more of who you are on the golf course. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm not sure I like it for me, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. My point is simply that um, I think that uh, that what is revealed in Rick Riley's book is consistent with what many people think our our president is like. Right. See that his his handicap was hacked by hackers this week. Well, I mean, look at think about this. I think <laughs> all his rounds were wiped I think, out. Uh, I won't. I'll butcher his name, but the North Korean president uh, Kim Jong Un, whatever. Right? Yes. So his first round of golf ever. Ready for this? His first round of golf ever. He was thirty eight under par. You think that's legit? <laughs> well, do you know that that. Donald Trump has, has quote-unquote, won double figures of club championships. Right. Do you think any one of those is legit? Right. Um, do you know that Putin played in a hockey game recently and he scored eight goals? And, I mean, so right. what are we saying here? Well, the, is the, any of it believable? One is of, any of it legitimate? One of Saddam, Sain, Saddam Hussein's son was in charge of the national soccer team. Uh, the World Cup team, and they lost or got eliminated, and the coach disappeared. So, you know, <laughs> so, I don't think I even want to play with a guy no, like that. It reminds me of the there's a movie now I can't think of, Mooseport, with uh, Gene Hackman as the, the president who just was the president, left office, and he's living in Mooseport, Maine, and, Ray Rom- and he's kind of stealing Ray Romano's girlfriend, and they go out to play, and he's got uh, Gene Hackman, he's an 11, and he's got Secret Service guys lined up all through the woods. And every time he hit one into the woods, there'd be a guy who hit hit the hit one of the trees and then threw the ball out into the fairway. Well, you and know, to I me, imagine one of that the beauties of this game is we don't have referees. There are no umpires. There's no any of that stuff. That is a game of honor, a game of integrity, and where you call things 
on yourself. And someone like President Trump doesn't believe in that same sort of perspective. True. All right. And we'll leave the that aside. No political comments anywhere, which is hard for me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I won't. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to the PGA Championship. Got about a, I don't know, about 25 minutes left or so. Um, and I should say, uh, for the best selection, service, and savings, swing by Golf and Ski Warehouse in Hudson, Greenland, and West Lebanon, New Hampshire, which, by the way, is where we are taping today or, or uh, recording today. Huh? And in World Headquarters and in Scarborough, <laughs> Maine. Uh, learn more about what's available and get directions to those locations at golfskiwarehouse.com. Um, all right, there were a couple of side notes that I want to mention first. I mentioned Daly and the, uh, actually I'd mentioned two of them already, uh, John Daly and the cart and Tiger's comment about it, but uh, did you see uh, John Rahm get caught on camera? Did you see I what did he did? Not. Tell me. <laughs> he was playing with DJ. I don't know what day it was, but. Well, we know it was either Thursday or Friday. All right, so I think it was <laughs> Friday. Play over the weekend. Anyway, DJ's kind of in the first cut, and but he hits a long drive, and Rahm is behind him. So Rahm is kind of looking around, swiveling his head, checking out where the crowd was. It wasn't a huge crowd. And he had to be like 30 yards behind him. He sneaks off. Now the camera is on DJ going over his shoulder. So you can see Rahm in the background. And he goes over behind the tree, unzips his fly, <laughs> and releases himself on live television. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think he was hiding behind the. I, I, they I, they I cut away. It, I don't. I don't know if anybody who's. But the, but to it this, wasn't in the woods. It was. It was just. I don't a, know if anybody listening to this podcast would have said that they haven't done the very same thing. So true, I, I but not at the PGA Championship. Live TV, maybe not. But, uh, <laughs> I might even have done it at Black Beth Page Black. Thank you, yes. But I would go in deep into the woods. You I wouldn't. That's where you're this, no, no. This well, yeah. Well, that's the. That's a, you know, that's killed. Killing two birds with one stone, but but I mean this was just a tree, probably fifteen feet from the woods. It's just a big oak that he went behind. Man's got to go. Man's got to go. People anyway. I just you know, that's the first on me. So think about this. So that that you know there's an early morning wave and an afternoon wave, right? And you're you're playing in one o'clock, let's say on um on Thursday, and you've just played a couple practice rounds, and you're realizing. Man, this course is hard. I mean, if I shoot even par, I'm going to be thrilled. And before you even tee off, you see Brooks Kepka, who's, as we now know, the number one player in the world and has won three of the last seven majors. He's already t- finished, and he's shot seven under. What kind of mindset are you going to have going to the tee thinking, I've already lost? I don't know about you, but when Kepka posted seven under the first day, didn't you have this feeling? And like, he went out early, too, right? He went so. out real early. Yeah. Didn't you have this feeling like... I Tournament's d- over? I, I did right up until the 11th hole on the final day. And you still and, thought, no, 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 when no. it got to one, yes. if it had been somebody besides DJ, I probably would have thought this could really be trouble, but I just figured he'd do something. He just seems to do something. Well, um, He or Ricky Fowler. If it was Ricky Fowler, I figured he'd do something too. But I thought that it looked the face, the look on Brooks's face after the bogey of the par 3 14th, was one that I don't remember seeing him have, that I saw genuine concern. And I think it was the first time Yes, I would agree with that. The first time I think he thought, holy cow, I might lose this. And so he goes ahead and he makes his bogey. And by the way, he had to sink a four-footer for bogey there, which is nerve-wracking in and of itself. 
I like the way on the 15th tee, which I believe was the hardest hole on the course for the week, and the wind's howling. And for me, boy, that was that was that was gut check time. And he gets up there and he rips it 320 in the fairway. And when he hit that ball in the fairway, I felt like he's now going to win. You know, because I felt like if he had missed that fairway, because DJ hadn't bogeyed 16 yet. I thought that anything could happen because well, what he had was, been reeling, right? He bogeyed four in a row. He's got the hardest hole in front of him. What was four? What was the par three? Is that 14? 14. Yeah. I mean, that was adrenaline. Set. I mean, he was 30 yards over the green. People were... DJ hit a seven iron, just essentially pin eye. Brooks airmails it with an eight iron. Yeah. Made no sense. And that's where I think the look right. on his face was, holy cow, what's right. going on right. here? It, it was almost like uh, Tom Watson when he was, you know, he was like... 96 still in contention to the final hole uh, at the British Open when he airmailed a shot that went, you know, he, he hits a seven iron. I love iron. how you don't let facts get in the well, way of good Well, whatever. Go ahead. <laughs> but anyway, he was an advanced <laughs> age for a golfer. They'd never think he was there. You know, he, in a way, was like Tiger was at the Masters. Didn't think I'd ever be here again. Right. He's come up to the last hole, and he's got what is a normal seven iron, except he hit it. 25 yards longer than he normally hits it, well, and it was all adrenaline. Yeah, well, it, yeah. I, I remember it was 2009, um, so you're only a decade or 13 years off. But anyway. Um, oh, so he was 96 if it's 2009. <laughs> <laughs> but his ball landed maybe two yards too far because, in fairness, that was Lynx golf, and it hit hard, hit really very firm, and trickled over the green into a swale. Right. So that one was. You know, two or three years, two or three year yards off of what he intended. So I don't view that quite the same, but the results were similar. But he hit it farther than he thought because it was right at the back of the I green, agree. and then it went down that. I swell. agree. You're right. Um, all right. What'd you think of the course in general? Um, I thought the course is good. I mean, they certainly love it. Uh, I don't think it was as exciting, maybe as perhaps other courses suggest they would be, because you know they were. It was very similar. Each hole seemed very similar in the sense of... They are. They all got the rise going up yeah. to the green. They've got big so traps in front. see a lot of variety. Um, and, you know, there weren't really any birdie holes. Well, that's what I was going to say. In the back nine, is not a lot of birdie holes to create that, you know, like it, at, at the Masters or at Augusta. They're the par fives on right. the back nine where guys can get themselves in trouble by going in the creeks in front or... They can pick up two shots with an eagle. I, I guess I'll defer on that question to the players because they seem to really like the golf course. Um, and so they, um, I was listening to an uh, a interview yesterday where they were talking about how much, you know, the course beats you up and, and you're exhausted when you're finished, but it was incredibly fair. And, you know, that's all you can hope for is have it fair. Um, and, but it did favor longer hitters. You look at the leaderboard, it favored longer hitters. And so, you know, another reason why it, it minimizes field. That's why I think Pebble Beach will have more people with a chance to win. The other thing I thought, uh, I mean, you could tell this when you're watching the trackers when they're hitting the ball off the tee. You, you can't really tell all that much about how, what the wind is doing really when you're watching on television. You know, you can see a flag or Agreed. something like that. But you really can't see, you know, those days when you're out there playing, like if we're playing today, I mean, my car was getting thrown around 89 when I was driving up here. 
you know, that's what Paul you said. Okay, that that's... car is in 1996. <laughs> I got it. I got it when, <laughs> right when Tom Watson that same weekend. In 96. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, those days where the you hit the ball and it's a pretty good shot, and then the wind just comes up and it moves it. 30 yards to the right or whatever. Sure. Um, that was happening Actually, to those guys. Think, do you, and, do you, and, you remember the, uh, I don't know if you happen to see it, I think it was the, um, oh, darn it, I'm not going to remember what hole, but it was towards the end when Mickelson was finishing, and he gets up and he hits a drive, and the wind was howling into him. And he hits a drive, and he hits a, a cut. And, you know, when you hit a shot into the wind and it starts curving, it goes way right. So he hits it way left into the crap. Um, so he has to hit a provisional. So he gets up and he hits it. He hits it way right in the crap. <laughs> and it was hilarious to think that a player of that ability. Right. It was just like, you know, yeah. you or I, or, or yeah. at least you. Right. Um, right. I, I would see when they were literally, the balls must have been 100 yards. See, away. my comment is who can't do that? <laughs> Well, on command? I particularly hate it. No, but I particularly hate it. Like, I like to play by myself a lot. It's like when I was basketball player, just shooting my, I could shoot in my backyard for like two hours. Yep. And I, I like doing you never it. Lose, I like the right? solitude. Yeah, I'm announcing, I'm keeping score, I'm right. doing everything. But but I, I like the solitude, and, and, and I go at times when there's not a lot of people around, so I'm hitting two balls. And I particularly hate when I do that, hitting one way left off the tee, and the other one I goes you way right. Take a cart. What's that? I'm not a cart guy. Okay. I'm a walk guy. Good. That's so, good news. The problem with that, I'm, I'm with you on this, because when I'll go in the evening and play a few holes, I'll hit two balls. I hate it when I hit them way right, right and way left, because now I've got to walk way right, right and then walk across the fairway. And, right. Right. Anyway. And uh, so I, I'm with you there, although sometimes when I do that, I'll say, all right, which one of these balls don't I want? And I'll just go get the other one. Nice. <laughs> so I'm a I'm a I'm a walker, but I'm a I'm a I, okay. I favor bag management. I like playing courses where holes go back and forth, so I can leave my bag, just carry a club up there. It's hey, my father was a caddy. He taught me yes. taught me all that stuff. All right, uh, our picks last week. Uh, I I don't want to say I hate to say this. I I want to say that. Uh, no, I kind of hate to say this, but <laughs> Scott minus eight, Brooks Kepka, Scott had him, and he was no hesitation whatsoever. You had Kepka right out of the bat. I uh, just thought, like I said earlier, I just thought it was a perfect, the stars were aligned, it was a perfect scenario. Um, the fact that I was right is a bit of a fluke. I just I just thought the stars were aligned for him to win that. And my pick for the winner finished 19 shots behind him, Tony Finau. Well, what did he get? Well, 19 like, shots behind in four rounds is better than Tiger being 17 shots behind in only two. That's true. Well, But he was only like and three shots. Well, no, he was more than that. But he going into the final, they had a bad last night. And then uh, Matt had Tommy Fleetwood, who started who well. also but, had a bad final day. Yeah, he, he's prone to do that, though, I think. Sometimes, you know, that guy, he's one of those guys who just gets, <coughs> excuse me, gets hot. Right. And, you know, boom, can reel off birdie after birdie. And then there's some days where it's like, it looks like it's the first time he ever played. And, you know, I mean, there's a reason why a lot of Europeans have not won the U.S. Open or the PGA. And I say U.S. Open because it it was set up a lot like a U.S. Open golf course, right? And that, you know, they're not used to playing narrow, high-rough type of golf courses where premium on hitting the fairway. They're used to playing in links golf with a lots of adverse weather conditions where it's just different golf. And so 
just as we struggle over there, I think sometimes they struggle here. And there have not been that many Europeans who have won uh, U.S. Open slash PGA type setup. A couple of other things I want to talk about. Kepka right now, as we know, fantastic round. He's won uh, four of the last eight. Which is um, amazing. Uh, and uh, including the U.S. Open. There haven't, I, don't, I don't know, has anybody won the U.S. Open three in a row? Because he's Never. going for it. Never. All right, so that... Do you know there are only two people who've won it two times in a row? I'd say Curtis Strange is right. one of them and probably Jack Nicklaus. Yeah, I think it was Ben Hogan. But Might I have been Ben Hogan. Yeah, okay, I'll buy that. Um, so let me ask you that. I like when he said he battled to a 65 on Friday. Uh, some people can't relate to that, but that I, I find that... That's why I like majors. I like when courses are set up tough, and even when guys don't have their A game, they wind up still putting up a good score. Well, 65 might have been one of the top two or three rounds right. of the week. Right. So what I'm sure he meant was he didn't have his best stuff. Yeah. But 65. Well, I, he wasn't complaining necessarily no, no, no. other than I describing that he really, it was a grind. Right. And he had it to. It almost and, implies like his 65 in some ways was better than his 63. Right. Which he said was maybe the best round he's ever played. Right. Um no, but I. Th- but that's why I, as I said, I like, I like uh, majors. I particularly like the British Open because when guys put up scores and they don't have the Ray game, it's like pitching a two hitter when you, you know, just don't have your best stuff. You right. just right. battled and outsmarted people yeah, and, and look at I and mean, it's, played it's made good shots. Golf, right? When we say that the hardest thing about golf is you can't play defense. So if you don't show up with your game, um, at least in basketball and and in football right. and in hockey, you can always work your tail off and play great defense and still be effective. Right. It's almost impossible to do that um, in golf. And yet what he means by that is he wasn't hitting it the best, but he was going to find a way every single hole to to make it work. And And not make mistakes and hit the right shot for that particular day or use the right club or whatever. And it's easy to give up. I say give up is probably not the best way to describe it, but it's easy to give in. Right to what is happening and realize that this course is hard and it's not my day. And All right, well, let me ask you this. Is this, uh, how would you characterize him? And you're going to have to make uh, look into the future and make a guess. But is he a guy who's off to a really good or in the midst of a really good multi-year surge like we've seen some players do before, David Duval for one? Uh, or is he a guy who is on his way to being an all-time great? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I think it's to be determined. Um, I would say that there have been a number of people who've won, you know, two, three, and maybe even four majors, not a number, but the ones who have, those were done over relatively short periods of time. So they were on a good run, so to speak. Um, right now, Brooks is on a really good run, but it's hard not to conclude at age, what did he just turn? 29. 29. It's hard not to conclude that he's got still some good golf in front. And twenty nine in golf is not like twenty nine in the no, NBA exactly. or NFL. You generally, speaking, you're getting to. You're, he's not even at his prime I yet. I agree. You know. So my instinct says that he's got lots more, um, but I thought that about Rory, and it's now been five years since Rory has won a major. All right. Well, that's, that's another example. You know, Rory Rory's was won four. Yes. And, and I think that's probably the best, what you're asking is, is he going to be more like Rory? Right. Or is he going to be more like, like Tiger? Um, maybe yeah. not quite Tiger. Maybe right. maybe Tiger. Who knows? But I think but, his I mean, goal is he... of double figures is 
you know, if many other people had said that, I would have been, what are you talking about? I actually think it's possible. How many double of, figures are there? Four? And uh, majors? Boy. That sounds right. Hagen, Jack. Tiger, Jack. Yeah. I think it's, and Hogan only had nine only, yeah. quote, it, unquote. Someone else said thir- 13. I, no, I think three. Is it just the three of them? We'd I think to, so. I think so. And up. and Walter Hagen won. So, so to suggest you're going to win double figures is putting you at the Mount Rushmore of golf. I would agree, yeah, because um, um, Gary Player's like nine, I think, as um, well. Or something but like. does he not epitomize the way golf is now played this generation? And he looks he like not, a linebacker from behind. Does he not epitomize, or does he not reflect the change in the game of golf that Tiger initiated? Nobody like Brooks Koepka ever played golf pre-Tiger. Nobody like, nobody worked out. Nobody thought, um, you know, being in great shape was was uh, was important or necessary in golf. Nobody hit driver no matter what. And the word athletic really wasn't Never. used to many people. So to me, he's like the prototypical modern golfer that was really, you could argue, that Tiger introduced. I mean, the yeah. fact is... Uh, he's even bigger. I mean, as I said, from behind... Yeah, but nobody worked out. No, I agree. No, I know what you're saying. I'm just saying, and he's even bigger. Well, I mean, from behind... Well, generation learns from the previous one. Yeah. And so this generation, they should be better than the previous one because they have all the knowledge that the previous one had and more. He's just got a huge neck. He looks like a tight end from behind. He yeah, does. he's not as big in person as you would guess. Yeah. Though. I mean, that that's what surprised me. I've seen him a few times. Um, I'll tell you who... I mean, he's uh, big. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I was involved in opening the Ted Williams Museum in Hernando, Florida, and the, we would have when we had the induction ceremonies was the National Hitter Hall of Fame. There were all kinds of players, you know, old guys, and I'm standing next to this guy one, and I look at him, and it's Mike Schmidt from the Phillies, and I'm looking, I'm going, how did that guy hit? I mean, he's smaller than I am. I'm going, how did he hit all of those home runs? He played in a gigantic park too. Well. And and he had a big, gigantic you ever back. Seen how big Rory is? I Rory's, have not. Yes, yeah, he's relatively not relative. He's small. Yeah, and he's maybe the best driver in the game. Yeah. Well. So, you know, it's more than just size and raw power that produces distance. As I w- you're using it, Mike Schmidt as an example. Yeah, it's it's surprise. I I was right. playing one time one day with uh, Matt Arvinitis, and uh, now the SNHU coach, and of course he's. Uh, Almost or leader in the New Hampshire Open a couple of years ago into the yeah, final round. Player. Good player. Anyway, Maddie's five nine and not less. huge. Yeah. Okay, less. And we're playing, and he's just banging it yeah, way past strong. me. And I looked at him and I said, "You know, I'm pretty sure I can take you. I, I have no qualms in my mind. I could do it if I have to." I said, "How are you hitting it so much farther by me?" It's like because I don't know that he's he's stocky, so he's strong. Right. But I but it's it's yeah, golf's there's, one of those sports where you don't. It's have interesting. To be huge. It's really interesting because yeah. he's yeah. just banging it. But he's technically sound, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it was. You know what it was? It was all in the turn. Sure. It was in the turn and the use of his legs. Big muscles do the work. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Because um, he doesn't swing really hard either. Yeah. It's not like some other guys. But right. anyway, all right. A uh, couple of last things. Uh, Kepka moves past DJ as the number one ranked golfer in the world. I don't know that it's hard to follow how they rank those guys. Well, but it's it's a one year system, right? And so, look at I think the easiest way to think about it is there any question to you right now who the best player in the world is? No. And to suggest that DJ second is probably accurate, but right now 
You would argue that relative to Brooks Kepka, DJ's underachieving. As yes, I would. Uh, my attitude to him is he he reminds me of uh, Hubie Brown used to say this about uh, guys who were waiting for a basketball yeah, reference. Well, Hubie Brown used to used to say uh, uh, <coughs> about the real talented guys, but weren't Kyrie Irving type of guy, uh, where he would say. Those are the kind of guys that always let you down at the end of the game. And every time I see DJ, I, he f- goes into that category for me. I, as talented as he is, yes. as far as he can hit the ball, as, as no I, just, I just, even when it was to one, if it had been someone else, I would have said, this guy might be in trouble. But I knew he was going in that, that gunk at 18 when he hit it right into that. Well, you don't know which is the worst thing to be in, uh, a deep trap or on the rise where Kepka was on that. What was he doing? That was the win. But anyway, on that, that shot that he had where his foot was yeah. up in the air, and yeah. uh, uh, I, I just don't have any sense of confidence that he's going to pull it off. Well, I'm think, not surprised I, if he I does think, win, really. But I think his results would be consistent with what you believe. I mean, the reality is, for all of his talent um, and for all the opportunities he's had and times he's put himself into position... The fact he only has one major is pretty startling. Right. So he might be one I mean, of those guys that... North. Are, I mean, go through the list of people of more than one major of one-tenth of the talent that DJ has. True. Um, all right. Uh, he has four second-place finishes. He has second-place finishes in all of the majors. Yes, the Grand that, Slam. He's the Tom Weisskopf of his era. Am I going too far back? Or? Uh, Louis Ustaves has a runner-up. Grand Slams as well. But it always seemed like Tom Weisskopf would be right there. And that's then, actually, you know what? I'm going to give it to you. That was a good reference, a reasonable and, and so, fair reference. So two shows in a row. I got a good one on Tony Finau, yeah. even though he finished 19 yeah. shots off the lead. I'm, I'm, and uh, and now I got one for uh, Tom growing. Weisskopf. You're yes. very much yes. And he was but I think to your point, alumnus of where? Weisskopf was supremely talented. Now, the difference is Weisskopf was more of a hothead and would, would not succeed because of his anger. Whereas Dustin just, you know what? I don't know. Just not that smart, I don't think. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. It's just, as I said, Hubie Brown. Those are the kind of guys who always let you down at the end of the game. All right, let's go to the last word this week, the Colonial. It's at the Colonial, but it's no longer. Does it? Does the name sound right, the Charles Schwab Challenge? Of course not. No. Of course not. I mean, what do that's I remember worse than the being Colonial able to... for? I remember two things. That my friend Olin Brown won there. Um, one of his three PGA Tour victories, and it's the uh, site where Annika played. Way yes, back when. and um, right. So it's a course where you don't have to hit any drivers. The distance got her though. There. Right. Well, but it's, did she it, take? That's why she took. Is that why she took Colonial? Yeah, she was offered Probably. exemption and it fit no. her game a little bit more. Um, so it's not a bomber's paradise. Um, so it'll be interesting. It's ben Hogan's course, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it just seems to me that. You know, these names, while I get it, and it's a money grab, and, and you need sponsorship dollars and all that, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 it, I, I'm sounding old, you know, get off my lawn kind of guy, but Charles well, Schwab, whatever, I mean, come on. I, I'm a presented by, which you had the good taste as the sponsor of this podcast, presented by Golf and Ski Warehouse. Did I have any input on that? I think that was my idea, no, but I knew how, but I knew you'd this like where it. I say that was a good one? <laughs> no, no, that's, I just I just knew what you'd like. Okay, good. You know, we, we I I just I hate when people put their name force their name into the front of a stadium right. or naming rights on something I mean, and and 
uh, and kind of usurp the history of the event that they're doing. It says to me they don't have a clue. Well, I used to think of the tournaments as the Andy Williams and the Glenn Campbell and right. the Jackie Gleason and the Dean Martin and the Bob Hope. I mean, those were the names of the tournaments. A lot of cigarettes at the Jackie Gleason. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the... That was down in, uh, that was at the, it's now the Honda, I think. It's, it was in Florida. Yeah, it was where? It was the Jackie Gleason Inverary Classic. Inverary, yeah, that's where it was. Right? Yes. So, the San Diego, Andy Williams, San Diego. Well, we, we can show Bob our. Bob Hope Chrysler Classic. And How did Perry Springs. Como not get one? If, if Andy ride, Williams got one. Bad break. So, good course for the Andy yeah, Williams. There you go, right. But, uh, uh, which was at Torrey Pines right. in San Diego. That's right. Uh, but did it start? Did it start with Bed, uh, Bing Crosby with the yes. with uh, with yeah. it's now Pebble Beach? Bank. Yeah, I mean that was that. But the evolution of that tournament right. started from this bunch of friends well, getting together that's when for golf the Campbell. Wasn't as popular, right? They wanted to get the you know that that cachet, that marquee yeah. name that would attract the the field, you know, the eyeballs. Yeah. yeah, and the television audience. You're right. I think, I, but I, I just think if you do what they're doing, you you push away the history and heritage of an event right. and there's a way to do both I for you know the um, uh, I would say the TD garden uh, I gets gets um, uh, points for me or TD bank gets it by not usurping bringing back the garden in Boston that's a big word for, for my yes it is but uh, so uh, as opposed to you know the worst ever was one of the the tidy bowl what's the tidy toilet bowl or something like that so anyway, well, the fleet center didn't do much for me. Yeah, that's what I mean. There's certain, at least you keep things. TD Garden at least is. Yeah, close. it brings in the garden. Yeah. yeah, I mean it pays. It pays heed to the heritage. Well so done. all right. So who do we have to win the? Um, we're calling it the Colonial. We're not. Yeah. We're not giving it. Presented by I don't Charles know who's Schwab. Playing this week. I mean, it's like. <laughs> all right, I'm going Jordan Spieth. Spieth. I mean, uh, uh, just just off the Texas connection, and he played pretty well the other I'd day. I have to see the field. I yeah, don't know who's going to play? So, uh, yeah, I, I don't bother with that. I just, I have, I, I'm an instinct so guy. So Jordan Speed playing? Uh, I don't know. Uh-huh. I'm going for it. <laughs> okay, good for you. <laughs> I, no, he Stick did in, in his interview. By the way, how My bad were, were the CBS interviews uh, when they got somebody coming off with the with the woman, whatever her name is, Amanda? Yes, Amanda. Um, did they? Did they bug me. I, she's too reverent. That's if I have one complaint. They're People are too reverent for golfers once Said they the come salty off. salty New Englander. Yeah, well, but, you know. I get it. You know, I yeah. just the, yeah. things can be a little bit contrived. There's, yes, I think that's what national TV does. Yes, and right. I guess I understand it because people want to hear what he had to say. I don't have any problem with it. Yeah. Although, going, well, to and, D, and, going to DJ, as, as Kepka was taking a shot, the most important shot of the tournament, right. to the 18th Seems hole was, was pretty stupid. Right. That was silly. But um, would, they didn't miss anything, really. But right, thank thank goodness for split let's screen. Let's talk about that for a second. Think about how many golfers. I don't know what the exact yardage was on his third shot on eighteen, but let's say it was what seventy five yards or so. Seventy? What yeah. was it? Uh, about a hundred. No, it wasn't that. No. Much. All right. I mean that. I say that because a hundred's a full swing. No big. The third deal. shot or the second shot? No, when he chipped out, and now he had a oh, third oh, shot, oh, oh, and he had oh. to put it on. Yes. Meaning, if he had for what? Let's just say right. Like well, DJ the, had this almost like the average amateur, right? It's fifty-fifty where they put that awkward little wedge shot on the green, right? And his, oh, his, got up and down like it was right. nothing. Yeah, pretty good shot, right? Right there, you're right. So, and I mean, what would Dave Long have done with that shot? 
It depends if it, no, it, 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 it depends if it, for the, on, for the tournament on the line? Yes. Line drive off of one of the spectators. Exactly. <laughs> if nobody's watching and, and maybe it's my second ball from that spot, probably pretty good. Right. Anyway, uh, all right, that will uh, do it for this edition, the post-PGA championship edition of Preferred Lies. Scott Peters, a great pleasure. job. Uh, enjoyed it as usual. And I should say, uh, before we close, I'll remind everybody about the $2,500 golf shopping spree here at Golf and Ski Warehouse. Uh, you have 10 days, 11 days actually, from when we're doing this, but to the end of May to register to win at any Golf and Ski store location in Hudson, Greenland, and West Lebanon in New Hampshire and also in Scarborough, Maine. Get all the details at Golf Ski Warehouse. My thanks to Scott. My thanks to you folks for listening. Matt will be back with us next week, and uh, we'll be talking about a tournament that neither... Memorial. That, no, that's a good one. Memorial's we'll, the following week, and we'll, that's, that's Jack's event. That's yes, a great event. Yeah. I was going to say, we'll be recapping an event. We don't know who, even who's playing who's right now, yeah. but, but we will we'll, by then. We'll have a lot more knowledge next <laughs> week about this All right. Week. Thanks, everybody, for joining us.